Good morning, Journey. I love, I love Youth Camp Sunday, man. It's just like pure chaos at church. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen when the students take over. Thank you guys for being here so much. I know you're tired. If all the kids fall asleep during my message, that's hopefully not because it's boring, but because I heard they stayed awake pranking each other like every night, very, very late. And I hope nobody, I hope nobody brought any shaving cream to service today, at least, so that, so that we can have church today. You know, I love Youth Camp. I love Youth Camp Sundays. And I did youth ministry for eight years, but youth camp holds a special place in my life because my life was changed forever at youth camp. But it wasn't a youth camp that I participated in. I was actually in college. It was between my sophomore and junior years of college. I was 20 years old um, when God radically changed my life at a youth camp. And some of you have heard a little bit of my story. Uh, I was playing football at Liberty University at the time. I had stayed in Lynchburg, Virginia all summer. Actually, I spent a month in California then came back to Lynchburg. Uh, and I was hanging out with about 20 guys from our football team. And literally our life consisted every day. We had apartments off campus uh, and we would get up and we would work out and then we'd go, we had jobs and then we'd come together in the afternoon and we'd work out again and we'd throw. And, and then in the evenings, we would, we would go do things that college kids did. Uh, and one day we're down running on the turf in the afternoon in our stadium. And we're running 110 sprints. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a hot day in Lynchburg, Virginia, kind of like it feels today. You wake up and it's already 80. Uh, and when you're on that old hard AstroTurf that's just kind of like carpet, it's like 20 degrees hotter. And we're down, we're down running sprints in the stadium. And as we're on the far end of the stadium, we see two Suburbans. Our stadium kind of sat down in a bowl. We see two Suburbans come pulling down the hill into the stadium and we knew that it was the chancellor of the university and his like security detail because they drove around and these you know blacked out suburbans that had license plates lu1 and lu2 and i remember standing on the far end of the stadium um, because we were at a christian university probably not doing things that were allowed by the rules at a christian university and i remember as we watched the cars pulling into the stadium we all kind of looked at each other like what, what did everybody do last night? Like, did we get home okay? Did anyone break the law? Was anyone arrested? We all, we all couldn't figure out why they were paying us a visit in the middle of the summer at three or four in the afternoon. It's like, what, what's going on that the chancellor of the university is coming down to us? And while we were running our sprints, they came down, they pulled almost onto the field. And he jumped out of the car, our, tra- our chancellor and the vice president. And they had a guest there with them who was a guy by the name of Rick Gage. And Rick was the director of a youth camp that was being held on the campus of Liberty that week. Uh, and Dr. Falwell introduced it and he said, hey, Rick would love if some of you guys would go to one of the services tonight. And he was introducing all of us to Rick and he said, Rick, this Christian, he's our quarterback. And he said, man, he's a great, great Christian kid. And Rick said, man, that's great to hear. He said, how would you like to, to share your story? How would you like to share your testimony at, uh, at our little, he, he called it a little youth camp, at our little youth camp tonight. And I said, I'd love to, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to. And he said, be at the multi-purpose building at 7.30. Uh, he said, we'll call you up at some time. And he said, just take five minutes and kind of share why, why you love Jesus. And I thought, all right, I can do that. At the time, I was a government history major. I wanted to be a school teacher and a football coach. I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't in seminary. I didn't have any Bible classes. But I was a college kid who loved Jesus. And I thought, sure, I'll, I'll go to the little youth camp and I'll, I'll tell these kids why I love Jesus. I anticipated because I grew up in a very small town, going to a very small church. I had like six or eight kids in my youth ministry of the church that I went to. So I anticipated a little youth camp being 50 or 60 kids. I walked in that night and there were nearly 2,000 kids in this massive arena. And as soon as I walked in, I thought, oh no. Because I had, 
like I'd never held a microphone, like I hadn't preached, like these girls that sang, they did such a good job. I could never sing in public. I'd have a panic attack and, and like just be done. I mean, this wasn't for me. And I remember thinking, what, what have I agreed to? And I thought, if I don't tell them I'm here, maybe they'll forget. So I sat in the very last row, in the very last seat of the auditorium down two basketball courts lined with chairs. And I thought, they'll, they'll forget that I'm here. Uh, and they got through the first few songs um, and they did the announcements and a guy got up and he kind of had a Bible and I thought he was going to start preaching and I thought, you know, they, they have, thank God they have forgotten me. And the guy got up and he grabbed the microphone, it was Rick, and he said, Christian Newsom, are you here, son? And I just froze. I thought, oh no. And I remember I put my hands in my head and I just sat in my chair. We were in kind of a, a blacked out room. And as I'm looking at the floor, like there's a light a around my chair. And I thought... Have I just died? Like, am I, am, I, am I being lifted through a tunnel? And I look, and one of our defensive linemen had come with me last night. His, his name was Jonathan Bank. Everybody called him Bank. He's about 6'4", 295. He's a big guy. He looked like Shrek, if you've seen that movie. And I look up, and Banka is standing next to me. He has stood up, and he's going like this. <laughs> Rick's like, Christian, come on up here. And he said, you know, guys, we're on the campus of Liberty. And he said, I met their quarterback today, and he's a Christian kid. And asked him to come tell his story of why he loves Jesus. He said, Christian, come on up. I hadn't thought about what I was going to say up to that point. And I had the length of a basketball court to figure out what I'm, what I'm going to say to these 2,000 kids about why I love Jesus. And in my mind, I flash back to a conversation I had with my dad when I was in middle school. My dad was and remains my hero. Just spent two weeks in Israel with a group of people that included my dad. On the last night of the trip, he shared his testimony. And I told all the people, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. Love my, he's the best man in my wedding. He's my football coach, my athletic director, my principal. He's just the best man that I know. And my dad came home. He led the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at our school. And when I was in middle school, the, the Alabama Crimson Tide had upset the national-ranked Miami Hurricanes and the Sugar Bowl won the national championship. They had a freshman quarterback by the name of Jay Barker who was a Christian. And after that season, they interviewed Jay, this Fellowship of Christian Athletes magazine. They interviewed him and they said, talk to us about what it means to be a Christian at the University of Alabama. And here was Jay's quote. You know how magazines have like the sidebar, like there's this big article, but then there's a bar with like two sentences that are big. I read, you know, kind of the cliff notes. I read the, you know, the two sentences. But here's what Jay said. Jay said, I'm 20 years old. And he said, here's what it means to me to I guess be a Christian at the University of Alabama. So I'm 20 years old. He said, I've never had a drink of alcohol. He said, I'm a virgin. I'm going to remain so until I'm married. He said, I've never done, done drugs or smoked any type of substance. That's, that's what it means for me to follow God. When I was in middle school, my dad brought that article to me, sitting on the couch one day. Um, and he said, Christian, I want you to read this article. And he said, there's a lot of great Christian people in the world that can't say what Jay said because they didn't make up their mind early enough to. But he said, I believe one day you could play major college football. You could live for Jesus. And if you will decide now, this is who you want to be. One day somebody's going to say, tell, tell us what Jesus means to you. And you can get up and this can be true of your life. Not because I love Jesus, but because I love my dad. I said, all right, if dad would have said, I need you to go run 20 miles every day. I, I said, whatever you say, dad. So I had lived that life. So as I'm walking down that basketball court, that memory's flashing through my mind, and I thought, okay, I've got what I'm going to say. And I had one Bible verse memorized, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your God who's in heaven. I wrote it on all the tape. I wrote it on all the shoes when I played sports. I wrote it on my batting gloves when I played baseball. It, it, it was like my verse. So I got up and I shared that verse. 
My life is to live my life so that people will see Jesus. And I said, here's, here's some things I do um, because I love God. And so I'm 20 years old, uh, and I said, I've never had a drink of alcohol. And everyone like erupted in applause. And I'm like, okay, you know, I kind of settled. And I thought, this is cool. Um, and I was like, you know, I've never done drugs or smoked any kind of substance. And, you know, they all kind of cheered. Um, and I said, you know, and, and I'm a virgin, and I'm going to remain so until I'm married, until I meet the woman um, who I married. And everybody cheered. And that was, that was my story. And, you know, I went and I sat down and I thought, this is it's a pretty cool day. I've, I felt, to be honest, very good about myself. Sat on the back row through the message. At the end of the message, they kind of thanked us again, a couple of the football guys for being there. And as we're leaving, we were kind of swarmed by these kids that, you know, wanted to talk to us and ask us about liberty and all this stuff. And as I'm leaving, I'm, I'm shaking hands with this little kid. Had to be a seventh grader, maybe a sixth grader, pretty, pretty small guy. And he's like, man, that was, uh, that was really cool what you said. Thanks for being here tonight. Really, really meant a lot to me. And I said, you know, man, thanks. Um, I on it to be totally honest with you. I was leaving to go to a party. So I kind of, you know, I kind of blew him off. I was like, hey, thanks. I, I didn't know what to say. So I said, you know, thanks. I'll be praying for you. Sounded good. I'd heard people say that in church. And I kind of patted him on the shoulder, kind of like, go away. Um, and as I'm heading for the door, a couple minutes later, I'm shaking hands with this kid. And I'm realizing this is the same kid. It's like, man, it's really awesome what you said tonight. You know, I, I play sports, um, you know, and I love Jesus. And man, if you weren't here for anyone else tonight, um, I think God had you come uh, to speak to me. I was like, man, that, that's great. Thanks. You know, appreciate hearing from you again. Um, you know, kind of appreciate it. And as I try to brush him off, I remember like it was this morning. He grabbed my arm and he held on to my arm. Like he wouldn't let go. It kind of, it kind of offended me for a second. Because I'm trying to walk away and this kid, he grabs my arm and he won't let go. And I look at him kind of like, what are you doing? And I realize he's crying. I felt really bad because I thought I'd hurt his feelings. So I immediately just stopped. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. What's your name? He told me his name. I can't remember it. Um, and he said, you don't, I, I just want you to hear me. Again, this kid's maybe 12 or 13. He said, you know how you said you grew up wanting to be like Jay Barker? And I said, yes. And he said, well, man, I don't want to be like Jay Barker. I want to grow up to be like you. And at that moment, for the very first time in my life, I kind of saw myself through the eyes of someone else. And in that split second, I had this thought, kid, I pray to God if you love Jesus, you don't grow up to be like me. Because the truth is, I didn't say this to him, but like in the moment, all this is processing in my head. I'm thinking, if you grow up to be like me, those three things I say, you'll be able to say those. You know, you, you'll grow up and not drink. I'm 37. I've still never had a drink of alcohol. I just, I got to the point where I thought, you know, what's, what's the point now? I got teenagers who are going to do what I do, not do what I say. So I thought, you know, that's, that's not going to be for me. I, you know, I'm 37. I've s still never done drugs. I didn't even think about it until I started a church. Um, you know, and then, then, there were, <laughs> then there were times where I considered, you know, it's been a long day. But, you know, I, I, you know I've, never, I've never, never done, never done drugs. So I thought that, you know, that'll be true of you. If you grow up to be like me, that'll be true of your life. A year later, I would marry my best friend, Danielle. We'd stand at the altar and neither one of us would have had sex with anyone. And for you teenagers, that was hard and that was frustrating. I think our limo driver caught a little bit of that release on the way from the wedding to the reception. It was like, you know, we've waited so long, you know, it's like, we got a ring, let's do this thing. Um, so, you know, it was like, that was hard, it was true. Years from now, none of you are going to remember anything about this sermon, but that line, we got a ring, let's do this thing. You're, somebody's going to repeat that on their wedding. I heard this in a sermon, I think it's spiritual. It's not spiritual. 
was an un, that was an unspiritual thing to say. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but the, those, those things were true. But as I'm looking at this kid, I'm thinking, though, if you grew up to be like me, those, those things will be true of your life. But for the first time, I had the thought, if you grew up to be like me, you're not going to be a very good Christian. Because I was not a... It's the first time in my life that I ever thought, but I thought, I'm not a very, as, as I thought about myself through the lens of this kid, I was 20, talking to this 13-year-old, and here's the reality. That 13-year-old could not have stepped into my shoes and lived for Jesus. And up until that point, I didn't realize I wasn't living for Jesus, because I was pretty cool with where my life was spiritually. And I knew if I was going to die, I was going to go to heaven. And I had a couple things that were important to me that made me feel really good about my faith. But as I looked at this kid, I thought, oh my gosh, if you come with me tonight, you won't be a very good Christian. And if, and if you hang out with me in the clubs this week, you won't be a very good Christian. And as I'm looking at this kid, God is saying to me, Christian, man, something's got to change. Because there are people who want to grow up to be like you spiritually. And you're not a very spiritual person. And it was the first time in my life, because I had the desire to be spiritually, but I realized that my spiritual desire was not my spiritual reality. I was not a godly person. I was not a spiritual person. I didn't really love Jesus. I didn't really live for Jesus. I never read my Bible. I never prayed. I never really witnessed anyone. I, you know, I, I, I didn't memorize scripture. Like, I was a pretty good person, but I was not a good Christian. And when God opened my eyes to that, everything changed. And if you're here today, if God one day opens your eyes to the reality that your spiritual desire, what you hope to be spiritually, is not your spiritual reality, it's not what you currently are spiritually, then something has to change. If you're taking notes this morning and you've already pulled your notes out of your sermon sermon guide, your bulletin, you'll see that your spiritual journey can't really begin until your spiritual eyes have been opened. I mean, until God allows you to see yourself through the lens that he allowed me to see myself on that July day in 1998, until God opens your eyes so you can see who you are spiritually, your spiritual journey can't really begin. In Ephesians 1.18, it's why Paul said to the church at Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart, now I'm not a doctor, but I've looked at enough biology and anatomy to know that the heart doesn't have eyes, so he's talking about our soul. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Everyone sitting in this place, what's God been trying to get you to see if you just open your eyes spiritually? What has God been trying to get you to see in your life if you would just open your eyes spiritually? Because as I was praying this morning, God told me that I was praying the wrong thing because I prayed, you know, God, I pray, God, that you would be in our services this morning so that people could hear from you and so that people could see you and so that people could feel you. And God said, Christian, don't pray for me. I'll be there. Pray for the people. I'm going to be there because I love my church. I'll be there. You need to pray for them, that their hearts are open, that their ears are open, that their eyes are open. Because I'm going to be there. The question is, will they hear me? Will they see what I'm trying to say? Will they feel what I'm trying to do in their life? What's God been trying to get you to see if you would just open your eyes? Some of our teenagers were asked that question this week, halfway through camp. What has God opened your eyes to? And here are their answers as we get ready to study the life of the Apostle Paul. I want you to see what happens when God opens the eyes of your heart and reveals to you what your next spiritual steps are. Check out this video from camp this week. 
So this week at camp, God has opened my eyes to the fact that he has such a deep spiritual calling for me and that I'm meant to help other people get through their daily issues, even if it's hard for me or even if I feel awkward about it. And so I've just been trying to go up to people and say whatever it is that he's put on my heart. This week at camp, God opened my eyes to truly um, wanting to be a missionary to another country and wanting to minister to those who don't have Jesus in their life. This week, God opened my eyes up to knowing that you don't have to be alone, that there's always going to be somebody there for you, and you only takes one person to stand up, and then others will follow. This week at camp, God opened my eyes spiritually and worship, and it helped me out because, like, I never raised my hand because I thought it'd be awkward, and this time I, ra I raised my hand, and it felt amazing, like it helped me out spiritually. God opened my eyes to place a calling on my life and go into the missionary field. God opened my eyes this week by um, not putting a mask on and being who you truly are so that he can actually get through to you and he can actually talk to you. And if you let him get through, he'll protect you and always be there for you. So This week at camp, God opened my eyes to listing out my priorities better and you know, when I say priorities, I mean reading my Bible, praying more, and just getting back into talking to Him and focusing on Him. This week at camp, God opened my eyes to the fact that He'll never throw something at me He doesn't believe that I can overcome. And that's really humbling to know that anytime I'm struggling with something and I don't feel like I can ever come out of it, I know that He believes in me and that with His grace that I will be able to overcome anything. This week, God opened my eyes to the glory of Him and how He can change people's lives and flip them upside down whenever they're feeling so far gone from Him. This week at camp, we had a mask and we put tape on it and we wrote down the struggles that we had in our life. I wrote down my depression and we were asked to come up and throw our mask into the fire, throw everything that was hurting us into the fire, just a heavy burden was just lifted. I threw my depression away. It's gone now. I give it all to God. This week at camp, God has showed us that He is with us. He has called us to stand together to create a movement with the purpose of being kingdom workers. We know that He does not want us to settle for the temporary kingdoms of this world, but to seek His eternal kingdom. We know that everything God does lasts forever. We are JCI and we are kingdom workers. <laughs> some of you ladies need to work on that jump there at the end of some, some of you like didn't even get off the ground. You know, adults, if God would open your eyes, adults in the room, if God would open your eyes, what's he been trying to show you about your life spiritually that he has in store for you moving through this summer and into the rest of your life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, you can fire it up on your phone, fire it up on a tablet. Our ushers are going to go down the aisle. They've got Bibles that you can use. If you don't have a Bible, they actually have Bibles that you can have. So just wave at the ushers if you want a Bible today. You can open up God's Word, read it with us. Every Sunday we'll open it and study it. But we're beginning a brand new series this summer called Bedtime Stories, volume 4. It's the fourth summer in a row we've studied the life of a biblical character. And so what can we learn as Christians from someone in the Bible? And this summer we're studying the life 
life of the Apostle Paul, who in Acts chapter 9 had the name Saul. We've spent the last three weeks in Acts 7 and 8 with 66 people from our church that got engaged in doing something for Jesus. The last three weeks as we walked through Acts 7 and 8 and saw how the church engaged to everyone do something for Jesus. But we saw as the church engaged, some people got upset about it. They didn't like it. Some people started getting arrested. Stephen was killed. And as we get to Acts chapter 9, we've got the rulers of Israel that are kind of on the war path trying to arrest Christians. One of them's name is Saul. And boy, when his eyes were open, his life was changed forever. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19 says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul's eyes were opened in his life and future change. Let me ask you a question. What happens when God opens your eyes? We learned three things from the story of Saul today who would later become Paul. Number one, when God opens your eyes, your past has to be confronted. You can run from it, but you can't hide from it. When God opens your eyes, your past has to be confronted. Because before you see who God wants you to be, you have to see who you are. You you have to be me standing in that gym, that multi-purpose center in the summer of 1998, and you have to finally see yourself who you are spiritually so you can know what has to happen in your life spiritually. And God confronted Saul about his past in verses 4 and 5. It says, Saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. If God could open your eyes today, what would he ask you about your past? What is the question? What would Jesus say if, if Jesus came to you and said, why are, you, why are you doing this? What's this? Why are you feeling this? What's this? Why do you continually put yourself in this situation? What's this? Because before you can move forward to your future, you've got to confront your past. When God opens your eyes, you've got to ask the question, why am I living like this? What in my life has shaped me to be who I am today? Why am I living like this 
so I can move forward. And it's interesting because a lot of people never really open their eyes spiritually because one of the greatest scales, one of the greatest obstacles to us seeing spiritually is comparison to others. And it's way easier to open our eyes to the lives of others than it is to open our eyes to our lives, but it holds us back from seeing who God wants us to become. And as I've met and talked with people in the world, both Christians who are in church and people who are not in church or maybe around church, almost every Sunday we have somebody sitting in our congregation who would say, you know, I'm not really a Christian, not even sure I believe in God, but kind of interested in what's going on here. I like your music. It's nice and loud. I like the coffee. I've got a friend who invited me. We've got people every Sunday who come from, you know, deep Christian backgrounds and people who are sure yet. And all of us are kind of hindered in our faith when we compare our lives to other people. Christians love to compare ourselves to the world, and the comparison to the world makes us feel really better about ourselves. If you would ask me as I took the long walk up to the stage at Liberty University in the summer of 1998 how I felt about myself, I just said I feel pretty good because compared to all my friends... Compared to all the guys I play sports with, you got to remember, I went to a Christian university, but if you've ever gone to a Christian school, high school, or a Christian university, you know the athletic department is where all the non-Christians hang out. So, you know, I was kind of in like the the missions focus, so I, I played ball with a lot of guys who didn't grow up in church, and my life compared to their life was pretty good. I never really had to stop and evaluate my life spiritually because compared to them, I was all right. And the Apostle Paul did this. In Philippians 3, he talked about his old life. And he said, I never really had to think about Jesus because when I looked at everyone, like I was better than everyone else. I I didn't have far to go. He said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. He was saying, if anyone else feels good about themselves spiritually, I, I feel better. Circumcised on the eighth day, this would have made him a great ceremonial Jew of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. There are some Christian businessmen in the room today who need to have your eyes open to the way you're leading your business, but because the way you're leading your business is so much better than the way your competitors are leading their businesses who aren't Christians, you'll never see what God wants you to see because you base your spiritual life based on unspiritual people instead of Jesus. And you feel real good about where you are. There's some spouses in the room who God wants to open your eyes to the next level of your faith spiritually, but you, you'll never look at yourself in the mirror because you look at your husband or you look at your wife and you think, you know what, maybe I've got a long way to go, but until they catch up with me, I, I'm not moving any further. You feel good enough about yourself. Some older siblings and younger siblings in the room who God really wants to show you a new path for your life. But compared to your brothers and sisters, you're already at the head of the pack, so why move forward? Comparison to the world will kill you spiritually. It'll keep you stagnant because you're always going to find people who aren't living life as well as you are spiritually, especially if they're not Christians. And we've developed this self-righteous thing in the church. Be really honest. We think we're better than people who aren't Christians because we're Christians. We think we've got the moral high ground. We think God loves us more. We, we, just, we, we think we're better spiritually. The biblical term is self-righteous. And when you compare yourself to the world, it keeps you from seeing who Jesus wants you to be. But then there's this comparison to other Christians that's, that holds you back too. Because you can say, well, yeah, not only, you know, not only am I doing better than all my friends who don't go to church, like I'm a pretty good person, but man, some of my friends that do go to church, like some of the Christians I know are such hypocrites, like I'm doing pretty good compared to them too. And it's interesting because the apostle Peter struggled with this. 
The Apostle Peter struggled with this thought of, you know, I know what God wants me to do, but what about other Christians in the world? When Jesus told Peter that, hey, one day you're going to live your life and you're going to end up dying for your faith, instead of Peter asking questions about his own life in John 21, it says Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, well, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want you to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. A lot of us, God's going to speak to your heart about something today, but there's going to be some Christian in your life that you're more concerned with. You're going to say, well, yeah, but what about them, Lord? Like, I know I've got a long way to go, but what about them, Lord? And God says, comparison to others stunts your growth spiritually. Not only as a Christian, but as a non-Christian. There are some people sitting in the room today who, who struggle to connect to God Because of a comparison to the world. You look at your life and you say, man, when I look at my life compared to everyone else's life, there's no way that God could love a person like me. And your comparison of your life to the world because of the mistakes you've made and the consequences that you've lived and maybe the jail time that you've spent and the marriages that have failed and the jobs that you've bombed at, you look at your life and you compare your life to the world and you think, man, there's no way God could love someone like me. Comparison to the world will keep you from connecting to God. And then there's a lot of you, maybe you're not a Christian yet, Because you're comparing your life to other Christians and you think, man, Christians have it all together. And I don't. You compare your life to other Christians, you think, I could never connect to God. But comparison robs you of opening your eyes spiritually to what Jesus wants you to see. And the only spiritual comparison we should be concerned with is how our life compares to Jesus. I didn't realize this until I was 20 years old. And my life compared to the world was not just good enough, it was better than most. My life compared to most of my Christian friends was better than most. But when that kid said, I want to be like you so I can be like Jesus, God said, Christian, you are not like Jesus, and you don't even care. When are you going to open your eyes and compare your life to Jesus instead of people who aren't Christians or other Christians that you feel superior to? You have to compare your life to Jesus, your past has to be confronted, and you've got to ask the question, why am I living like this, if you're ever going to change this? After your past is confronted, your present has to be directed. Look at verse 6 and verses 10 through 12. After God confronts Saul's past, God says, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Listen, God placed somebody in Saul's life to show him how to see God's plan for him. And it is crazy how the Christian church today doesn't direct this intentionally enough. I mean, there's no athlete who would go out for a sports team without a coach. There's none of us who would start a new job without having a trainer or a mentor or a boss. There are teachers that lead our kids through schools. The, the Christian life is the only thing we think, okay, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and then I'll just figure it out. It's not how it worked for Paul. It's not how it worked for Saul. God placed immediately somebody in his life to show him how to see God's plan for him. Let me ask you a question. What's your plan for discovering your spiritual next steps to life with Jesus. Like today, as you think about the rest of this summer, what's your plan for growing closer to Jesus? Most people would say, I don't know. I don't really know how to do that. Guess what? Neither did Saul. But God placed somebody in his life and he said, go tell him what to do. So as I look at the life of Saul and I learn from the life of Saul, I see that every Christian needs a person to show them how to grow. At least Saul did. 
And he was like one of the smartest biblical men in the history of the world. But God said, I'm going to send someone to tell you what to do. You know, next Sunday, because of this series and because of this point, I told Pastor Ryan, who leads our Next Steps ministry, as we were walking through this, I said, you know, Ryan, we got a lot of people in our church who, after this message, are going to think, I don't have anyone to tell me what to do spiritually. we got to provide something for them as a church. Really intentional spiritual development. So what can we do? And he said, Christian, we've got a four-week Next Steps class that is like just Christian basics. You're a Christian, do this. He said, we can start at the week after this message. If you're in here today, and you say, I've started my Christian journey, but I don't know what to do next, you need to sign up for the next four weeks And during the 9 a.m. service, instead of coming to service, you need to go to our Next Steps class. Then you need to come to the 1045. And one month from now, like Saul and Ananias, you're going to know exactly what you need to do spiritually. Because every Christian needs a plan to learn how to connect, to, to learn how to grow. But every Christian needs a plan to learn how to connect with Jesus every day. Not not just a strategic, here's what life looks like, but a strategic, here's how I connect to Jesus. So every day, I'm not only comparing my life to Jesus, but I'm spending time with Jesus. Next week, as I preach on the next step of Paul's life, I'm giving a summer 2015 spiritual growth plan, and I'm going to walk you through how between next Sunday and Labor Day, you can grow in your faith and spend time with Jesus every day. I'm going to give you a Bible reading plan. I'm going to give you a prayer plan. I'm going to give you some scripture memorization. I'm going to give you a plan to spend time with Jesus every day that if you do it when you get to Labor Day, you're going to think, I am so much closer to Jesus today than I was at Memorial Day. Why? Because you've got a plan to direct your present. And then I believe every Christian focused on Jesus needs direction constantly. We need to say, God, what are you saying to us? That's why I'm going to beg you this summer for the next 10 weeks after this week, be in church. Because Jesus is going to direct us from the word of God and from the life of Paul this summer. Be in church. I know you're busy. I'm busy. It's hard to get out of bed and come to church. My son got home from his baseball game last night because 13-year-old baseball is the most important thing in the world at 1.30 a.m. And the family who dropped him off didn't get home till after 2 a.m. because they live in Blue Springs. It would have been easy to say, man, sleep in. There are some of you, your life is so busy, you don't make it to church as much as you should or as much as you can just because it's hard. But listen, this summer, get up early even though you haven't had sleep. Come home a half day early from vacation. Leave a half day late. Make Sunday a priority this summer. And if you have to be out of town, listen to the podcast because we need our life to be directed by Jesus. And that happens through the teaching of God's word. Take a nap Sunday afternoon if you're out all day Saturday. But make church a priority because our present needs to be directed. But number three may be the most crucial part for some of you today stepping in faith into what God is showing you. Your future has to be lived one day at a time. You cannot make a decision today for next month. You can't make a decision today for next year. You can't make a decision today for when you start your next job. You know what you can make a decision today for? Today. That's it. And I think a lot of times we try to cast such big vision that we say, you got to make a decision. But that decision, you have to keep that decision every day for the rest of your life. And we say, I don't know that I can do that. So, so we do nothing. When we look at Paul's life, both Saul and Ananias were each told to do one thing and only one thing. Just one thing. Just just do this one thing. God told Saul, go to this house. God told Ananias, go pray for him. And it's interesting because God told Ananias that Saul would learn God's plan for him, but that it would have to be discovered over a lifetime because Saul wasn't ready for it on day one. 
All Saul had to know on day one is I think God wants me to lean into this area of his life. But look at verses 15 and 16. If Ananias would have given Saul the entire plan for his life day one, he would have probably said, I don't think I can do that. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Do you find it interesting that Ananias didn't tell him that? He heard his life story, but he thought, you know, God, he's going to have to, he's got to figure that out as he goes. Ananias just said, Jesus wants you to live for him. You'll figure out the rest as you go. You can't beat addiction today, but you can say today you're going to start trying. You, you can't. You can't probably drop the grudge that's been in your heart, that's been impacting your life relationally, negatively, but you can decide today, I'm going to try. You can't read your Bible through today, but you can make a commitment today to start reading your Bible. You can't spend 40 days in prayer today, but you can say, I'm going to spend one day in prayer today. You probably can't stop that habit you've been trying to stop today, but you can say, I'm going to try to stop that habit today. You can't probably beat discouragement today, but you can say, I'm going to try to start living with hope today. You probably can't commit every day of the rest of your life, but you can commit today and try to commit tomorrow. God knew that if he could get Saul to open his eyes and get properly focused spiritually on one thing, that he could begin a lifelong spiritual journey with him. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you in your heart to see the one thing God is saying that it's time to do. And maybe it's been time to do that for weeks or for months or for years and you've been ignoring it because you think, you know, if I do that thing, I have to do 10 other things. No, just stop. What one thing is God asking you to do? There are some of you in here who have moved to a place where God's becoming real to you. But you think, you know, until I have all the questions answered, until I see it for a few years, until I really experience, I can't, I really can't give my heart to Jesus, but Jesus is saying, do it. Just step out in faith and, and just give your heart to Jesus. We'll figure out the rest together later. Some of you are so bitter and broken still by a divorce, by a job, by a busted relationship that you've not ever been able to get out of bed in the last few weeks or few months and get up with a fresh perspective that God is good and he's got great plans for your life. And I, I can't change the way you wake up tomorrow, but I can change the way you go to bed tonight if God will say, open your eyes to hope. Just open your eyes to hope. Maybe there's something you've been doing that as you've been in this service, God has said, listen, you can't do that as a Christian. Maybe you're 20 like me, or you're 40, or you're 60, or you're 80, and God is saying, you can't, you can't do that and really be close to Jesus. You say, well, Lord, I don't, I don't know how if I make this decision, I'm going to tell all my friends, and I don't know what I'll do next week, and stop. Don't go that far. Just do what God is asking you to do. Christian, I've been, man, I've, I've been meaning to read my Bible forever and ever and ever, and I just, you know, this week, just stop with this week. Just read your Bible today, one day at a time. And it's interesting. It's interesting how God moves. Because when we see what happened in the life of Saul, we see that a moment of spiritual intimacy, it doesn't have to be understood by everyone. It just has to be felt by you. 
As Paul's on the road to Damascus and God begins to move in his heart, he kind of loses an awareness of what's going on around him. And like nobody else around him knows what's going on, but he doesn't care because he knows God has spoken to him. It says the men traveling with Paul in Acts 9, 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. But Saul didn't ask everybody, hey, what do you think I should do spiritually? He said, I know not everyone's going to get this, but God has spoken to my heart. God has opened my eyes to this reality. As I stepped back to Liberty University in 1998, man, I had so far to go spiritually. And all I could do was make one decision at a time. And those decisions started fast and they were humiliating. As I finally walked my way out of that rec center and I got in my car, I had the windows down because I was a poor college kid and my air conditioning was broke. And most poor college kids have air conditioning that's broke. So my windows were always down. And as I turned on my car, hundreds of students were flooding past my car. And as I turned the ignition, the most vulgar rap music you can imagine was blaring from my speakers because that's what I listened to. And I remember how ashamed I felt as I reached over and I just kind of turned it off. And I thought, oh, Lord, I pray nobody heard that. And as I was holding on to the volume tab, because it wasn't on the steering wheels back then, I actually had to reach and do it. I looked over in my passenger floorboard and there was a Playboy magazine laying there face up that any of the kids walking by could have seen. And I remember sitting in that parking lot, reaching over and just turning it over slowly as if that would make it go away. And I remember driving off the campus of Liberty University that night, just disgusted with who I was. And as I drove down the highway, I started going to the exit ramp. I I, I ejected that CD from my CD player and I threw it out the window as I'm driving down the highway. Then I reached for that magazine and I threw it out the window. And then I started going through my CD collection and I'm driving down the road just, I'm so glad a police officer wasn't following me because I'm just like throwing everything out of my window. If there'd have been a bum walking on the side of the road, I would have led him into sin that night with music and pornography because it was just all along 460 highway just laying along the road. And I didn't go to the party that night that I was supposed to go to. I told my friends, go without me. And I did the only thing I could do. I made one decision at a time. I went home, I got down on my knees beside my bed and I I literally cried myself to sleep on my knees laying across my bed and just said, God, I'm sorry. And I I don't know what to do, but I know I'm not supposed to be doing this stuff. And I made a commitment that next day. I'm done, I'm done with the clubs. I'm done, I'm, I'm done doing the things I'm gonna do. And that first day I remember I woke up and I thought I should read my Bible. And that started a path that now almost 16 years later has led to so many things in my life. But it started with God speaking to me about one thing and me saying, you know, God, I, I don't know how all this is gonna work, but I'll do what you're asking me to do. God is speaking to some of you right now. Not everyone around you has to hear it, see it, feel it. But if the eyes of your heart are open, you know it. You know what God is saying to you this morning. And I want to challenge you to do what our teens have done. I want to ask you to act upon that. So would you bow your heads and would you pray with me this morning? And with every head bowed and with every eye closed, please nobody looking around out of respect to those around you. If God has opened your eyes this morning to something in your life that he wants to do. If God today has spoken to your soul and allowed you to see something about your spiritual life that you're in desperate need of, 
And you would say, Christian, I can't understand it. And not everyone around me might feel it. But I know this, God is speaking to me today. God has opened my eyes about something that I need to do. If that's true of you with every head bowed and every eye closed, all over this room, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Christian, God is speaking to my heart. God has opened my eyes to something that I needed to see. Just hold them up for a minute. You can put them down. God, I pray for all these people who have raised their hand because they've all felt what Saul has felt. You, you today have kind of knocked them down and confronted something in their life, in their past or their present or their future. And you've said, this is, this is the way forward. And God, I pray for each and every person that you have spoken to this morning. That God, you would be very real in your life and this thing that you've put in their life would be very real. And Lord, this moment would be a defining and transformational moment in their life. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're gonna do something we don't often do at our church. If you're brand new, you, you might not understand this at all. If you've grown up in church, we're gonna do what's called an altar call. You say, what does that mean? It means we're gonna give people whose hearts God is moving in an opportunity to come forward and pray. Say, so why, why do you need to do that? Can I pray in my chair? Yes, absolutely you can pray in your chair. But God says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. There's something about physically moving towards God when God is moving that just does something in your life spiritually. So if just a moment ago you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't, but God was moving in your spirit, I'm gonna ask you, and there's a lot of you, so you're not gonna be by yourself. And if a family member comes, husband, if you see your wife going, just grab your hand and go pray with her. Wife, if you see your husband going, just go pray with her. Students, if you see your parents or siblings come, they go pray with them. Maybe groups of students want to pray for someone you've talked about at camp that you really hope God will show them something. But if you're in here and God has opened your eyes to something he wants to do in your life, I'm going to ask you to physically respond to that by moving out and coming to pray. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask you just to stay where you are in a reverent manner with your head bowed and your eyes closed out of respect to these whose hearts God has touched. But if God is moving in your life today, I want to give you just a few minutes to come and pray, to kneel at an altar on this gym floor and to say, God, I hear what you're saying. My eyes are open to it. I don't know about the rest of my life, but today, today I, I hear you and I want to move forward. God, I pray for those who have raised their hands. They've done a big thing in acknowledging, hey, God is speaking to me. But now the courage it takes to step out of a seat and come forward. Lord, it's really a great first test of spiritual battle. Because if they can't stand up in a church and come and pray, it's going to be much harder at home today, at work tomorrow. So God, break down some barriers in people's lives. Overcome some fears today in people's lives. Heal some couples and some marriages and some people and some teenagers today. Lord, by just allowing people to, to just step out and say, God, you say, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So God, I'm gonna take, if I'm on the front row, I'm gonna take about three steps towards you. If I'm on the back row, God, I'm gonna take about 15 steps towards you. And God, I want you to meet me. And I really want you to touch my soul. If God is speaking to you today, I want to challenge you to respond to that. Don't be nervous. Don't be embarrassed. I don't believe you'll be alone, but even if you are, that's okay. If God is speaking to you, students, adults, parents, single folks, 
on the count of three, I just want to invite you to just come get alone with God and just pray for a few minutes. And then I want to pray over all of you who are here. So if God is speaking to you on the count of three, one, two, three, right now, just come and pray. heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room some students have already seen their parents come down and they've come to pray with them maybe you've been so respectful you've not even opened your eyes and not realized that your husband or wife or your son or daughter is down here somebody's down here and God's moving in their life and you know them today why don't you just come pray with them put your arm around them make sure they know they're not alone in this place today just reverently and quietly just come pray with them prayers today at the altar are really simple we answer the question why are you doing this it's what God asks Saul why are you doing this if the answer is I'm not sure just tell God God I don't even know how I got here but I just pray you'll forgive me and help me if you don't know how to move forward just tell God that God I, I need you to send someone to help me I don't really know how to move forward out of this and if you are rightly scared about the future, just say, God, I can't commit past today. I don't know, but I'll give you today. Give me the strength to give you tomorrow. Now, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the most important decision anyone can ever make is a decision in faith to give their life to Jesus. Maybe some of you are down here today and you've done some spiritual wrestling, but you've never become a Christian. Or maybe you're sitting out there today and you just feel God in a way today that you've never felt him. You don't even know what it means, but you know like God is just beating in your chest. You feel the tingles on your spine. You just know today God is real and he's saying, I want to be close to you. If you're here today and you've never become a Christian, you've never said, God, I, I, I'm with you. I don't get it all, but I have faith. I, I'm with you. Today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in the room today and you